A MIDI pickup is a device that you can install on a guitar that translates the notes the guitar outputs into digital information in real time. MIDI pickups can be used to control everything from synths to orchestral samples because if there's one thing guitarists need, it's the ability to play even more notes. Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and I'm so glad that you've joined me to talk about guitars with MIDI pickups, guitars with regular pickups, and sometimes acoustic guitars with no pickups at all. Strong Songs is a listener-supported show, which is really cool. I make the show, and enough of you all pay to support it that I'm able to keep making it. If you'd like to sign up to become a patron and get access to the Discord Listening Club, exclusive behind-the-scenes videos, and more, go to patreon.com slash strongsongs to find out more. We're definitely going to be talking about that first kind of guitar in this episode as we finally focus on a widely requested band led by one of the most influential guitarists of the 21st century. For all his cool guitar tech, he ultimately proves that the riff is still the thing, so let's plug in our amps, crank up the fuzz, and hit this thing. has a few bands where you can remember where you were the first time you heard them, and this episode's band is certainly that for me. The early 2000s were a really important time in my musical development. It's kind of a fork in the road for me. I was wrapping up my undergrad as a jazz saxophone performance major, and my whole world had been jazz. That was the thing I was learning. That had always been the thing I was learning. I was just laser focused on it. But I was realizing as I approached graduation that as much as I love jazz, there was this whole world of music, pop, rock, funk, soul, hip hop, music that had never been my focus academically, but that I was realizing I wanted to explore it. I wanted to learn about it and I wanted to create it. Specifically, I wanted to write songs. I wanted to sing songs. I had no idea how to sing, but I was a writer and I loved the idea of writing music with lyrics, which just wasn't really something that I had learned as a jazz saxophone player. So I was starting to get in to the idea of songwriting, the craft of songwriting, and into rock music and guitar-driven music. I just started learning guitar, and I was thinking, this could be a thing for me. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was really taking my first steps down a long road that would lead to me being the musician that I basically am now, though I still think of myself as someone who's very much in flux. So I was sitting on the cusp of this huge transition without realizing it, but I was sitting on the cusp, and I was also sitting on the couch in my cruddy college rental house, and a buddy of mine put on a CD by a band that I'd never heard before. And right from the first notes of the first track on the album, I just thought, wait a minute, what is this? I'd heard rock bands before, friends had shared their favorite bands with me, but I'd never heard anything quite like this. It had this certain propulsive quality, a mix of harmony and timbre that immediately sucked me in. It was dramatic. It felt like the beginning of a story. A good story can do that, you know, right with the first few sentences. It grabs your interest and you know you're hooked. And I found myself listening closely to what would happen next. And as it happened, what would happen next rocked my face into the floor. everybody because the time has finally come for strong songs to talk about muse (laughs) 
specifically Newborn, the opening track from their 2001 masterpiece, Origin of Symmetry. album is so great and I've loved it for such a long time that I'm not sure I can limit myself to talking about a single song off of Origin of Symmetry. So while Newborn is great, it's an amazing song and a great encapsulation of so many of my favorite musisms of that era, I don't think that I could make a Muse episode without talking about another song off of Origin of Symmetry, one of straight up my favorite rock recordings of all time, the inimitable operatic A-bomb, Microcuts. So it's time to go hard and time to go big with a Muse doubleheader worthy of one of the most outsized bands in rock history. Origin of Symmetry was Muse's second album, and they're definitely one of those bands where it took them until their second album to really find their sound. You could hear a lot of their influences in their first album. You could hear Radiohead's kind of compositional style, Tom Morello's guitar riffs, some vocal stylings from kind of Jeff Buckley and Tom York. Um, You could hear all of that on Showbiz, which came out in 1999, but it wasn't until Origin of Symmetry that the band fused all of that together with this kind of symphonic drama and this extreme kind of caterwauling rock, this huge pomp and circumstance in their sound that would become their signature as they win. And I mean, they just get bigger and bigger from Origin of Symmetry. But that was kind of the album where it all coalesced into something new. I like a lot of their later stuff, but Origin of Symmetry will always be my favorite Muse record in part because I just think the songs are really good. I think they rock super hard. I think the album just sounds, it's kind of, there's a lot of stuff going on on it, but it's actually pretty straightforward and kind of cut and dried in some ways. And they get pretty elaborate in the studio on later records, which is cool, but I like how kind of just, it just punches you in the face a lot of times, this album. And also because, like I said, this was my first exposure to the band and it kind of opened my ears in a lot of ways to the possibilities of rock music. I was just young. I hadn't really heard this kind of music before and it really knocked me out the first time I heard it. The more familiar I became with Origin of Symmetry, the more I started to feel like each song on the album kind of slots into one of two different sides to the album. There's the slightly more straightforward rock, pop kind of stuff, and there's the more eclectic experimental stuff. And that's actually for a reason. So they'll go from something like Plug In Baby. This is a great song, straightforward rock tune. It features maybe Matt Bellamy's greatest guitar riff, one of his best guitar riffs anyway. You've got songs like that, but then you've also got songs that are more unusual, songs like Space Dementia, where Bellamy gets to show off his piano chops with these huge, wild piano arpeggios. That song really sounds different. It doesn't just sound like another very good rock song. So 
wasn't until later, much later actually, that I would learn that there was actually a reason for that. Origin of Symmetry is the tale of a band finding its sound, but it's also the tale of two great rock producers helping make that happen. The more straight-ahead songs like Bliss, Plug In Baby, and this episode's first song, Newborn, were produced by David Bottrell, who's best known for his work with Peter Gabriel, and then later with Tool, he actually produced Tool's Lateralis, among other records. The more eclectic experimental stuff like Space Dementia, that cover of Feelin' Good, or our second song, Microcuts, those were all produced by John Leckie. He'd already had a pretty storied career as a producer, and he was most recently known for producing Radiohead's 1994 album, The Benz. Leckie also produced Muse's first album, Showbiz. Between them, Batrell and Leckie helped Muse find this middle ground between being this kind of weirdo, experimental band with odd instruments and, you know, weird song forms, and a rock power trio with killer riffs, hooky melodies, and outsized choruses. And I think that's kind of where Muse lives now. They kind of live in this cool middle ground where they get to have their cake and eat it too. Um, I can't say, you know, who influenced what really, like I wasn't there, I wasn't in the room, but I do think it's really cool and interesting that this kind of multifaceted album was actually produced by two different people. And I think that's something worth keeping in mind as we dig into these two songs. So let's get into it. We've got two songs to cover, and there's a lot to talk about. Newborn kicks off with this nice electric piano part played by Bellamy. I think this is a Wurlitzer, and he's outlining one of two chord progressions in this song. It's arguably the primary chord progression. It's a really nice one. They kind of elaborate the orchestration before the vocals come in, just to make sure that you've really got it, that you can really hear these chords. So Newborn is in E minor. This is a very dramatic, pulsive thing to do in a key like E minor. He starts by going between E minor, the one chord, and B major, the five. It's sort of B dominant, but he's not really playing that dominant seven, so it's just B major. I shouldn't say it's just B major, though, because he's doing something cool to give it a more distinct sound. He's using chord inversions, and he's also pedaling an E throughout this section. So the B major chord is actually a B in second inversion over E. I've talked about inversions before. I'm not going to get super into it here because it's not that important. But basically, he just plays an E minor chord, E, G, B, and then E up top. Then he moves the G down to an F sharp and the E up top down to a D sharp while keeping the E down on the bottom. It's a kind of a different sound. It's a little bit more mysterious to my ear, and it's very cool that E pedal goes throughout this section whenever he plays these two chords going back and forth. That's a very dramatic sound. You're moving from one minor to five like that. It just gives you that leading tone, the D sharp and the B major chord, and each time it resolves back to the E minor, it feels very dark and dramatic. The third time he hits E minor, though, he changes it up. He actually goes up to C major, then goes to G major, and then goes to B before resolving back to E minor. So the first part of this chord progression is its own thing. When it's just doing this, it's going from E minor to B major. But the second part of the chord progression, E minor to C major to G major to B, that's actually a cousin of the famous four chords, one, five, six, four, which I've talked about at length on the show most recently on the episode about Imogen Heap's hide and seek. There's a version of the four chords of that famous, arguably overused, maybe inarguably overused chord progression that starts on the minor chord instead of the major chord. You'll hear it in a bunch of pop songs. So in that version, you would go E minor, then C major, then G major, and then D major. So it would just kind of vamp and it would sound like this. You've heard this a bunch of times. In Newborn, Muse is doing something a little bit different though. There's that B major, that dramatic five chord in place of the D major. So instead we go E minor, C major, 
G major, and then B major. Much more dramatic, much less settled. That five chord in E minor, it's a much more propelling minor key kind of a thing, and it really does change the nature of the chord progression. It makes it sound a little sharper, a little darker, and I really like it. So let's listen back through that chord progression after the larger ensemble comes in, and then we'll get on to the melody. It goes E to B, and hear how the E stays steady because it's pedaling. E, C, G, B. Then again. So Bellamy comes in in his middle register, he's singing this very simple melody, link it to the world, he's just walking from a B down to an F sharp, he sings that phrase a few times, this is where the melody starts, though this melody is actually really cool, it kind of uh, develops over the course of this whole verse and goes to a bunch of places, it like climbs and develops in this very cool way, but he establishes this really solidly, he repeats this phrase several times, while he's doing that the orchestration is gradually complexifying in some pretty cool ways. they've got all these layered keyboards going on. There's one or maybe even two acoustic pianos up on top. There's the Wurlitzer, the electric piano in the middle. Over on the right, there's some sort of bass synth. I'm not actually sure if that is an actual fingered bass or just a keyboard bass synth or a fingered bass put through some sort of a synth. I'm not sure if that's Chris Wollstenholme playing that. I think that he played that part when I saw them live, so I do think that that's him over on the right. It's all very chimey and very busy. Do, 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 which is a nice contrast with Bellamy's vocals. He's just singing this very simple line that's descending. Dominic Howard, the drummer, comes in just on his hi-hat, plays the same kind of subdivision that just adds to the contrast with the melody. With all that established, Bellamy begins to elaborate on his melody. I love those splash symbols. The melody continues to climb. And they build toward a final unresolved five chord. And oh yeah, man, that five chord definitely resolves. Before we get to that, though, I want to look a little bit more closely at that melody. I think it's really great. It develops in this natural way that makes it easy to not really realize that it's developing, that it's changing so much over this same chord progression that we already established. So his melody covers an octave and a fourth during this, which is basically the verse. Even when the full band comes in, they do the same chord progression. It's the same melody. It's just kind of quieter here and the drums and the full bass and guitar, you know, they're not in. So it's not quite as pounding as it becomes, but it's still the same same melody, same chord progression. It covers an 11th in total, so that's an octave and a fourth. Um, he starts on his lower F sharp and he goes all the way up through his vocal passaggio and up to a high B in his head voice. It's a pretty high note and uh, that's where he ends, a very dramatic way to end his phrase. So he starts here. Link it to the world. Link it 
and he ends here way up in his head voice. So that's an 11th, and for the melody, he's kind of splitting that 11th into four parts. You can almost maybe think of it as a car shifting through four gears. He starts in first gear, seeing that B, walking down to the F sharp. He does that a few times, kind of stays in that same first gear for quite a while. The melody repeats, it kind of goes through that version of the four chords with the B in there. He kind of stays in this zone, then he repeats it again. And then he kind of upshifts to second, and then he starts sort of centering his melody around an E. You've seen, seen. He's kind of right around that E. And then he kind of quickly shifts into third. That's when he goes past his passaggio, which I actually already did. Um, but he goes past his passaggio into his head voice. He has a beautiful head voice. To young, young kind of between that G and that F sharp. And then for the final part of his melody, he goes all the way up into fourth gear. He walks up from that G up to B. Solaces everywhere. And he ends up on that high B, kind of trilling up to that C. It's a very delicate and very dramatic place. So now that we've kind of gone through it, you can probably see that melody is a real journey. The chords haven't changed this whole time. He's just been gradually upshifting his way through this octave and a fourth range while gear shifting his way through his vocal passaggio as well. So the timbre of his voice really changes over the course of this melody. He goes from his chest voice into his nice, light, delicate head voice. All of these sparkling keyboards keep things moving tempo-wise until they don't because the whole thing is building up until this fermata, this held chord at the end that's so dramatic, this unresolved held five chord that's just building somewhere and and I mean you already know this thing is this thing is gonna rock we're gonna blow it open but we're not there yet um but let's go through that melody one time and I really want you to pay attention for it so I'm gonna play along on piano and just listen for how he develops it picture it in your mind that steady upward trajectory that upshift the shift from focal point to focal point as his voice shifts up into its head voice all building toward that final dramatic unresolved five chord here we go We're down in first gear. Let's do it again. Now let's upshift. Now upshift again. One last time. Okay, okay, that's enough buildup. Let's hit it. Just like that, Muse introduces Newborn's second chord progression, which is all built on this killer riff. So obviously Howard is fully in on drums, Bellamy and Wollstenholm are doubling the riff on guitar and bass, and they transition back to that driving opening verse melody and chord progression, now with the whole band in. Hope 
When I say the word riff, I'm drawing a specific distinction between a riff-based part of a song and a chord-based part of a song. When a song is chord-based, it's moving through a series of chords. They're kind of stacked notes, you know, a chord. It conveys harmonic information by stacking a bunch of notes on top of one another. The opening verse of Newborn, which we just outlined, is chord-based. The upcoming verse, where I just faded out, that's also chord-based. When a song is riff-based, it's a little bit different. A riff-based song, or a section of a song, means that the harmony is being implied entirely by a single note melody, or a riff. This second section of Newborn is a riff-based section that's totally the song's riff and the whole thing, like everyone's just playing it. You know, the bass and the guitar, they're playing the riff together. Interestingly, Newborn actually has a chord-based chorus that we haven't gotten to yet, where the chords are actually based on the harmony implied by this riff, um, and that actually makes it a great song to explore the distinction as well. But basically, Newborn goes from a chord-based song to a riff-based one. Though even in the riff, they do go into chords for the second half, so they never fully get away from chords, but we'll get into it. The chord riff distinction applies to a lot of rock music. Some rock bands are super riff-based. Rage Against the Machine, one of the most famous, very riffy bands. Like, they'll just play a riff, and a whole song will just be built out of riffs. There are plenty more examples. Um, but it's not actually something that's exclusive to rock. Uh, even though riff sounds like something you would associate with guitar riffs and with rock music, this was a concept that was introduced to me by my jazz composition teacher, Ronnie Miller, an amazing professor at the University of Miami in Florida. And he talked about this and used Rage Against the Machine as an example, and it kind of blew my mind because you can hear examples of riff music all over the place, like riff-based songs across every genre all around the world. It's just something that we tend to think of when it comes to rock music, and in this case it is certainly a rock song that is using riffs. So for this transition into the full band entrance, Newborn has switched from chord mode to riff mode. great riff. It's very blues inspired. It's all built around this shape. So it starts on an E and then it walks up to A using that shape. Then it does the same shape from A and it walks up to D. Then it drops from D to the low D and does the same shape walking up to G. From there it goes up to a B which kind of leads its way into the second half where it goes back to chords. It goes to a C major chord, then a B flat diminished seventh chord, and then a B. So the root of those chords, it kind of outlines that B. It goes C, then B flat, then up to B. And that's just that B major chord, which remember that's the five chord. It's giving us all that tension and leading us back to the E minor to start the riff all over again. Now this is a guitar riff, and if you play guitar, I do recommend learning it on guitar. It's really fun to play it on that instrument since it was written for the guitar. You'll have to tune down to drop D. Honestly, I just play the whole thing on my sixth string. I guess you could kind of play on the fifth string too if you wanted to, but it's fun to just mash away on that sixth string. It makes dropping that D octave from the 12th fret back down to the open string just as a kind of a fun thing to do in general. It's a super fun riff to play on the guitar. Now 
As for that specific guitar tone that Bellamy is getting, that's a little bit trickier. Matthew Bellamy has long played custom guitars made for him by Hugh Manson, who runs Manson Guitar Works. They're very cool looking. He has a whole ton of them at this point, and all of them have built-in effects, um, various combinations of built-in effects actually built into the guitar. I believe that Origin of Symmetry features his very first Manson guitar, which had an onboard MIDI controller, which he could use to trigger synths and other MIDI effects live. It also had a built-in ZVEX Fuzz Factory, which is a boutique fuzz distortion pedal. They're really cool. They sound really good. So if you ever see Muse live, you'll see Bellamy sort of winging his way around on stage. His athleticism is totally out of control. I don't understand how he plays while doing some of the stuff on stage that he does. Um, I can barely play guitar sitting still, um, but he's very good at that kind of thing. And you'll see him sometimes like grab his guitar and he'll start messing with the knobs and he'll like unleash these sounds, these really weird filters and like squeals and shrieks will start coming out of his guitar as he's just playing with what looks like a volume knob. And that's because that's actually controlling custom gear that's built into his guitar. So I don't even have a ZVEX Fuzz Factory pedal, so I can't really replicate his sound, but it's a nasty fuzzy distortion. You can really hear it here when he comes in on the guitar to kick off that riff. It's just disgusting. There is one other little studio trick that I want to point out that they used to set up that guitar riff. On the recent episode I made about Kimbra's Cameo Lover, I talked about the reverse cymbal swell, which is a common trick where you reverse a cymbal hit and decay so that instead you get a swell that then abruptly cuts off. Another common use of that kind of a reversal is to do the same thing on a low piano note where this turns into this. You probably know that sound, right? It's used famously by Queen on Another One Bites the Dust, but it turns up a lot of places, and Muse is using it here to set up the guitar riff. Listen for it. They also use the piano as a nice texture during this build. So let's get into this groove. The band comes in cranked all the way up for this riff. Wollstenholm and Bellamy are doubling one another on the bass and the guitar. They're just playing that riff in unison. Howard is playing a groove that I really like on the drums. It's got this nice bounce to it. Boom, boom, ga, boom, ga, boom, ga. There's kind of more space in it than you would think, given that it just feels so full, because they've really got the drums pretty smashed on this. Like they're pretty, they're pretty maxed out in terms of how much of the waveform they're using. And he's just hitting that crash cymbal, playing that really just nice bouncy groove, which is cool and a nice contrast to the groove he's about to go into when they return to the verse. Like it rocks, but it's also really just got a bounce to it, and I think that Howard is actually a pretty groovy drummer considering that he's playing hard rock. Now just a word about this effect they get on this transition. I don't actually really know what that is. It sounds like an organ that's then being put through some kind of a sonic blender. They don't do a whole lot of studio trickery like that on this album. Origin of Symmetry is kind of a pretty straightforward album for the most part. It sounds pretty live. Later Muse albums definitely add a whole lot of overdubbing, a whole lot of special effects. But on Origin of Symmetry, they pick their moments a little bit more carefully. And I love the way that that sounds. It's a great way to transition into the full band version of the verse. 
So Muse is a trio, and similar to some other famous trios, Rush comes to mind, did an episode on Rush last year, Muse has got a knack for creatively arranging the bass, drums, guitar, and vocals to make the band sound as big as possible. They're very creative arrangers, and I really like that about this band. They're very musical and very creative. Um, I like how this verse has been arranged as kind of a good example of how Muse likes to arrange things. Howard is playing this standard kind of pop-forward drum groove. I actually recently talked about that kind of groove on the Kimbra episode. He's hitting all four downbeats on the snare. He's got the hi-hat kind of riding along, and he's accenting the spaces between on his kick drum. This is a really common groove in, you know, Motown music like Kimbra was channeling, but also in rock. It gives you this really kind of breakneck driving feel with the snare just hitting quarter notes like that that's much more driving than that groove he was just playing during the riff. On bass, Wollstenholm is playing a distorted electric bass version of the synth bass line from the opening verse. He's dug way in, but he's still playing kind of that same thing where it's pedaling on the E as the chords move along. He's just dug way in. He's pushing it along rhythmically much more than that synth part was during the introduction to the song. Bellamy is singing the same vocal melody as he did before that we already diagrammed. He's doing it with a bit more grit, a bit more volume, but it's basically the same. Uh, Though he begins to push as he starts to climb and do those gear shifts, he starts to push up. He pushes up into his belt a little bit more, uh, like when he's singing those E's, and then finally breaks up into his head voice a little bit later. His guitar part, though, is very different. He's actually playing this light, almost like funky strumming guitar pattern up on the neck. Um, and that lightness is kind of a, it's a real contrast with the riff that he was playing before. And it's kind of a good example of what Bellamy likes to do on guitar. Like, he'll play these really dank riffs sometimes where he gets down low. You know, this this band does do that. But he generally likes to play these kind of lighter, more complex and uh, involved guitar parts up higher on the neck. It's one thing that keeps Muse from being more metal than they would be otherwise. Like, it's always kind of weird to make genre distinctions, but they're just not quite as hard as they might be because they do do some low-string power chord stuff, but he kind of avoids just power chord riffing, and he's a little bit more agile, and he likes to play a little higher on the neck with a little less distortion, and this is the first example of that kind of playing in this song, and it's a really good one. I really, really like this guitar part. So let's listen to that verse, and let's kind of keep listening. Just keep your ears open for all of that, how the drums are driving with that snare pop forward beat, how the bass is really dug in and is playing that same pattern from the intro, how the guitar is adding all this rhythmic subdivision with that slightly funky strumming pattern up on top. All right, ears on, here we go. So Bellamy starts to push it here vocally. As he's developing this verse, he's doing a cool guitar overdubbing trick as well. When he starts to push his vocals there on scene, when he hits that E, he's occasionally just overdubbing this crunchy guitar distorted chord just right when he sings that note and then getting out of the way while keeping that lighter strumming part going just to kind of emphasize certain beats. And then he does it for the rest of the verse. It's a cool little trick. See if you can hear it. You hear it over there on the left? (laughs) 
it's time for the chorus. So as I mentioned earlier, the chorus on Newborn is actually based on that same harmony implied by the riff that they opened with when the full band came in. If you remember, that riff walked from E up to A, then up to D, then up to G, then to C, B-flat diminished, and B. The chorus harmony does the same thing, but instead of the riff, they're just moving in these steady half notes. E, G, A, D, F-sharp, G, B, C, B-flat diminished, B, and it just kind of moves like that. So it's this kind of more loping feel, even though it's actually moving through the same harmonic shape. Here, I'll play along with those chords on piano so you can get a sense of how that harmony is moving. While it's the same general shape as the earlier riff, the whole thing is relaxed quite a bit. There's less subdivision, there's fewer notes, and that makes, it just feels like there's more room. There's more room for the melody and there's more room for the listener in general. Howard's drum part is also relaxed quite a bit from what he was playing during the riff. It's kind of a third groove that he's now playing in this song. It's not definitely not the fast four quarter note snare thing that he was doing during the verse. It's also not the bouncy groove that he was playing during the riff with those upbeat snare hits. Now he's playing a more restrained and very straightforward halftime rock backbeat. He's just landing his snare drum right on two and four. All of those things together make the whole chorus feel much grander and larger than previous sections of the song, and that makes sense. The chorus should be pretty grand and pretty large. It feels like a destination, like the song has finally arrived. It makes sense that they'd want us to be able to sit back and kind of take it all in and to give us the musical space to do that. set up for the guitar solo the bass drops out it's just bellamy cranking away with the strings muted just chunking 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 on those strings he's doing all these cool harmonics thanks to the distortion effects that he's got turned on the whole thing is really beautifully setting up a return to the verse for a very cool and very distinct guitar solo Man, 
It's such a good guitar solo. It's such a Matt Bellamy kind of guitar solo. The bass and drums are back on the same groove they were doing during the second verse. Bellamy's guitar is taking the lead, and he's doing what I'm pretty sure is a single string guitar solo. He's just slipping and sliding around on his first string, that high E string. He's really just outlining the same arpeggios on the verse harmony that he was doing on the piano. In the same inversions, it just sounds completely different because of the way he's playing it. He's kind of uh, flutter picking or tremolo picking on the guitar to give it that undulating sound, and he's just sliding up and down this one string, which also gives it a kind of a like slithery feeling. It's very sinister. It's very cool. I like when he does this little cat right here. this final verse the guitar is actually out there's a muted guitar part it's kind of this guitar sound over on the left that's providing some harmony but it's mostly just vocals bass and drums so it's pretty stripped down that of course makes for a good contrast when the guitar comes back in And at this point, Muse has really established and developed all of the different sections of Newborn, so it's time for them to take the whole thing home. They go through this verse, and then they build into a second chorus. And as that final chorus draws to a conclusion, they pump up the juice a little bit more and just go crashing across the bar line and into an outro version of the introductory riff. On the final statement of that outro riff, Dominic Howard switches to a halftime feel. He just really digs into the groove here. And then finally, the whole thing just crash lands at the end. And an unexpectedly, eerily beautiful vocal harmony rises up out of the wreckage, paving the way for an abrupt transition to the next song on the album. <laughs> What a good transition. That transition just totally kills me. We're not actually going to talk about Bliss on this episode. We could. I really, really like that song. But that transition is so cool. The way that this song kind of is surrounded by these beautiful chord progressions at the beginning with the keyboard, that Wurlitzer, at the end, those overdubbed vocals. It's like a beautiful, lush beginning and ending with all this kind of hard, distorted, fuzzy rock in the middle. It really just makes for a beautiful experience from start to finish. And then that transition into bliss is just mwah. Newborn is such an immaculately put together song that for all its careful construction still kind of feels like it's at risk of bursting loose of its restraints at any moment. I mean, it's a carefully written song, but it definitely rocks pretty hard. It's, I mean, Muse will never fully capture the energy that they have live in the studio, but they did capture it on this recording. And all of the David Battrell songs on this album kind of feel that same way. They're very carefully put together, but they still rock within those restraints. But now it's time to move on to Microcuts, a much darker and stranger song that's a little more indicative of the 
John Leckie side of Origin of Symmetry. It's experimental, it's dramatic, and it's just kind of alien in some certain way. So as you can doubtless already hear, Microcuts is a showpiece for Matthew Bellamy's immense vocal range. It's a song sung entirely in head voice. It reaches the unbelievably high note of A-flat toward the end. There's also some Gs in there. Really, really high stuff. I can hit an A-flat on a very good day, but mostly can't. It's extremely high, and uh, that's a defining part of the sound of this song. It's a bold move to put a high A-flat in a song, just because you're going to have to sing that thing live, and uh, that's, uh, that's, that's no joke. It has a pretty straightforward form, but several chord progressions that are a little more common to contrapuntal chamber music than rock, which is part of Muse's whole thing. You can definitely detect Matthew Bellamy's classical music training here in this song. Um, it has indecipherable vocals. I've never known what the lyrics of this song are. I mean, I know what they are now because I looked them up, but I, I've always just thought of it essentially as this abstract piece where he's just singing sounds uh, between the distortion and the way the thing is mixed. You just can't really understand what he's saying. The whole thing has this operatic quality that I really like and is kind of unique to this song. So similar to the way the newborn handed off to Bliss, Microcuts picks up a nice transition from the preceding track Citizen Erased, which you're hearing right now. That song's final chord fades down to these, like, flitting, static fireflies, which carry over to microcuts. So we're in the key of D here, D minor. We're just vamping on a D. This whole thing is built around bars of three, like this. One, two, three, one, two, three. And even before the vocals come in, it's an unusual and really cool arrangement and groove. The bass is just pedaling a D down there on the bottom. Over on the right, it's a little bit subtle, but that Wurlitzer electric piano is playing some descending D minor arpeggios just over and over again. And over on the left, the electric guitar is playing these constant D minor arpeggios as well. It almost sounds like a classical etude, like I wonder if Matt Bellamy played a classical etude that moved through chord progressions like this. It has that kind of etude feeling. It's very smooth and very consistent, which causes it to kind of fade into the background. Meanwhile, the drums are playing this steady metronomic pulse, and it almost sounds like there's some sort of a synth triggered to the kick drum. It adds that sound to occasional kick hits. Um, it could just be they're adding this later with a synthesizer, but it almost sounds like it's triggered to the kick drum. It also almost sounds like some sort of a warped acoustic piano. It's a really cool effect that just adds an emphasis to those kick hits every so often. So harmonically, Microcuts kicks off by doing some pretty cool stuff. Uh, it works really well, especially with Bellamy's melody. So let's listen to him sing that melody up in his beautiful countertenor head voice for one phrase. So 
So Microcuts mostly moves between three chords, D minor, the one, G minor, the four, and A dominant, the five. However, it does some pretty cool stuff in the spaces between those chords, and like I said, pretty unusual stuff as well. The verse starts on a D minor, and it just sits on D minor for a little while. Then it does this upward climb. It goes from D minor to E minor seven flat five, or E half diminished. Then it goes back to D minor, then to D dominant with a major third, which resolves to G minor, the four chord. Then it goes to D minor, to A dominant, that five chord, and resolves back to D. So that whole progression altogether, it's just not really a chord progression that you hear much in pop music. Like I said earlier, it feels more like a carryover from one of Bellamy's counterpoint classes. In particular, that sequence from D minor to D dominant to G minor, it's really nice. It sets this piece apart. It just doesn't really sound like most other songs, even other Muse songs. And that's particularly true when you combine it with the way that Bellamy is singing this melody. He's totally up in his head voice. He's singing in this kind of a hooded way. It sounds like a classical countertenor a little bit. I think he's going for that sound. He starts up on a tenor high A and just climbs from there. So he's singing in this really nice light voice, but he's got this really nice sounding distortion effect on his voice throughout this entire song, which adds a lot of character to the sound. Bellamy is big on using distortion on his voice. He's big on breathing. You'll hear that a lot where he's like, (sighs) he kind of inhales very intensely. And when he's got that distortion effect on his sound, it really makes those kinds of extra vocal effects sound pretty cool. But even just seeing that... Like that kind of a sound with a distortion effect like I just added sounds really cool. Like it brings out all these upper harmonics in a high head voice sound that I think is really beautiful. The distortion effect also makes it pretty hard to tell what Bellamy is saying, which for me anyway kind of puts the song in an abstract space that I actually kind of appreciate. This whole verse is really just setting something up. As they draw to the end, Microcuts prepares for its first transformation. (laughs) Good lord, I will never forget the first time that I heard this song and heard that moment, that first chorus drop. The song just explodes outward, this stereo guitar is just destroy everything it's this detonation i i'd never experienced anything like it before i kind of haven't experienced anything like it since it's so perfectly executed that chorus sounds so big when it lands there's nothing else like it good lord Man, what a moment, what a chorus. The whole experience of the song revolves around that chorus and the way that it hits you the first time that it drops. It's not even all that complicated. It's just perfectly done. There are these really well-placed guitar chuckas, chucka, chucka. Bellamy shrieks, I've seen. The distortion just totally overwhelms his voice. And on the downbeat, the guitars just explode outward to a G minor. And that outward explosion is really crucial to the impact of this chorus. No! 
The mix is perfectly done. These guitar power chords fly outward to the left and right sides of the mix after kind of centering you on that chan-chan guitar chukas at the beginning. It's a study in contrast. It's a really effective way of using stereo pan, and it makes for such an epically impactful chorus. Listen one more time and just pay attention to that, how your ear is drawn to the center, and then the whole sound just explodes outward to the left and the right. Another subtle instrument is actually joined on the chorus and it adds a lot to the sense of grandeur on this. It's what sounds to me like an organ, just holding steady throughout the entire chorus chord progression. That chord progression mostly just goes between G minor and D dominant, so we've kind of moved into the key of G for the chorus. The final chord progression though is a little bit different, it's another cool chamber style walk up, it goes from G minor to A flat diminished up to A dominant, so it's got that kind of chromatic motion from G to A flat to A. It's actually a similar kind of chord progression to the one at the end of the verse in Newborn. Matthew Bellamy definitely loves himself a good passing diminished chord. So it's just stomping between G minor and D here. Just going G, D, G. <laughs> you know, I was talking about Bellamy's breathing before. I almost hesitate to point this out because once you notice it, you won't be able to unnotice it. But that guy really uses his breathing as an effective tool. He just adds these agonized inhalations during a lot of his singing. It's a pretty cool effect and a very distinct and very Matthew Bellamy vocal tick. So from here we go to the G, to the A flat diminished, to the A dominant, where they just hang out. And then they just return for a second verse. Microcuts is really not a very complicated song. They do a verse, which explodes into a chorus, then they go back for another verse which explodes out into a second chorus. Microcuts is not a super complicated song, but it's such a perfect distillation of what makes Muse special as a band. I think it's kind of the thing that made them into such a global phenomenon. It's the mix of beauty and power. The best Muse songs feel like stories, tales of drama and action set against richly colored cosmic backdrops, a whole narrative world conjured by a carefully balanced mix of dramatic musical elements. This bridge could almost be a homework assignment for counterpoint class. They move through a variation on the verse chord progression and Bellamy gets ready to wail out that high A flat. <laughs> and then it's time to bring everything home with one more riff. This riff rules, this whole outro section rules, the decision to just out of nowhere switch from this beautiful Brock opera sound to this thrashing riff. 
that also totally rules. I love the outro to this song. Howard has moved to this kind of double time groove on the drums. Wilson Home initially totally lays out, so it's just guitar and drums. Again, very smart arranging by Muse, something that they're very good at. Uh, this guitar riff is really fun to play. If you play guitar, I recommend learning it. It's not hard. Uh, just get in drop D. It kind of flies down the bottom two strings, just using open strings as needed. Uh, it's, it's a variation on the D blues scale, just goes down and then back up. So like I said, Chris Wolstenholm lays out, it's just guitar and drums, so when he enters, it's a huge boost. Paving the way for what might be my favorite guitar breakdown of all time. I mean, is there a better ending for a rock song than the ending of Microcuts? I submit that perhaps, perhaps there is not. The way that Dominic Howard just flips it and turns it into halftime, it's a classic metal thrash kind of a thing, but it works so well. The way that they pan that guitar breakdown, it flips from left to right, that neck pump that Bellamy does at the end, just pumping on his neck right before the downbeat. Give me a break. I could listen to it a million times and never get tired of it. It's so perfectly written, so perfectly played, so perfectly muse. There's a long-standing link between hard rock music and European classical harmony. There's this mix of complex contrapuntal harmonies and distorted guitar sounds that, by the turn of the century, was pretty familiar. Muse was something new, though. In the year 2001, when this album came out, there just wasn't anyone who really sounded like them. Origin of Symmetry perfected their particular blend of those dramatic operatic sounds and those hard, thrashing riffs. Three musicians, guided by two seasoned producers, creating a record that mixed pop song form with classical chord progressions, unusually complex melodies, and straight-ahead blues riffs. But while a given Muse song may start with an unexpectedly lush and beautiful chord progression... There's really never a question about where they're going to take you in the end. That'll do it for my two-part analysis of Muse's Newborn and Microcuts, two killer tracks from a killer album that you really should go listen to if you haven't. This episode was a long time coming. I've wanted to talk about Muse since I started making this show. It's always a lot of work to try to fit two songs into a single episode of Strong Songs, but I do like this band enough that I couldn't see any other way to make the episode, so I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, I hope you'll consider helping me make Strong Songs. You can spread the word, tell your friends, share the show on social media. You can also buy some merch from the Strong Songs store, linked down in the show notes, or of course, you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash strong songs. And as always, thank you so much to all of Strong Songs' Patreon patrons. I've been really happy with how year three is going. I've been having a great time making the show as always. I do love to hear from you all. You can find my social media links down in the show notes. And you can always shoot me an email with thoughts, questions, suggestions, music recommendations, whatever, at listeners at strongsongspodcast.com. 
Last thought is if you, like me, just got your second vaccination shot, I hope that you're as excited as I am. And specifically, I hope that you're excited to go out and support musicians and other artists in your community. Go see shows, go pay directly to local venues, buy albums from people, buy art. Let's all do whatever we can to make it easier for the people who make the things we love to keep on making them after a really tough year. This episode's outro soloist is Portland keyboardist and friend of the show Galen Clark, who very excitingly is going to be touring this summer as the keyboardist for the rock band Slater Kinney. Check out the Slater Kinney website for their tour information, and if you catch them on tour, say hi to Galen for me. What a thing, bands going on tour, live music happening, what a world we live in. All right, stick around for Galen, and I'll be back in two weeks with yet another strong song. <laughs>